Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. The Premier League Podcast. VAR is damaging my reputation as a football coach. That was the message from Wolves boss Gary O'Neill last night as yet again his side were left irate at inept decision-making. Fulham, the late winners at the cottage in Monday Night Football. But it should have been different, according to the old gold gaffer. It feels like deja vu, and it probably is, as Wolves are left howling at a howler yet again. Also, forget Emily in Paris. Eddie is in Paris tonight as Newcastle face PSG in the Champions League. And it's only 32 days now until the big day. And I'm not talking about Christmas. The window will be opening up before you know it. Welcome to the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. If you hit subscribe or follow now on your favourite podcast platform, you'll never miss a show. My name's Niall and Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor are here. Good morning, boys. Good morning. Now, we've got to start with some absolutely shocking, unbelievable breaking news, which is just reaching us here today on Football Social Daily. Joel Tudor is coming with me to watch Portsmouth tonight. Well, considering how much you go on about them, I thought, you know what, the proof's in the pudding. So let me go and actually experience this for myself. We'll do a few clips to put on tomorrow or Thursday's episode or whenever we can. And I'm going to give the brutal honesty of what it's like to go to an away day in League One. And you know what? One thing I'm going to be looking at for sure is the state of the roof because I'm going to compare it to Old Trafford and just see just how bad or how good these facilities are, let's say. And also the pies. I want to see how hot the pies are because at Old Trafford, they're like lava inside. So I'm going to be analysing a lot of different things here. Joel, if you're if you're expecting to see a roof at a League One stadium, I think you need to uh, revise your expectations of what Burton Albion Stadium's like. I'll tell you what, I've been there before, a couple of times actually, and it's not that bad. It's one of the better stadiums in League One, facilities-wise. It's one of the newer ones. So you, you'll get a roof, Jill. Don't worry, See you'll what I mean, get a Marley, roof. I'm coming to town, of course, isn't on, it? On one side of the stand. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all seated. It's all covered. The whole way around, it's covered. Is it? Is it not got a car park? We played them in the what? FA Cup a little while ago. 
you might be thinking of Oxford. Oxford's got one stand missing. Oh, I might like be behind, of the, behind the goal, ah. there's just a car park there. Yeah, I think you're thinking of Oxford. But go to some grounds like St. James's and Old Trafford, even though you've got your questions about the roof. They're traditional football grounds, whereas a lot of stadiums now are built on like industrial estates. Anyway, Joel, look forward to seeing your reaction tonight when... In, in like minus one degrees watching terrible football <laughs> I'm going to make sure I don't get punched whenever anyone ever mentions the 2008 run to the FA Cup final because sometimes the emotion just gets the better of me when I come back to that that ridiculous tie against Portsmouth <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll give a recap later on in the week no one will mention that don't worry we're more concentrated on trying to get out of this f- division <laughs> we've been in it for so long um, we're not here to talk about League One football although we might have a bit of a laugh doing so tomorrow we are going to talk about last night's Premier League match right now though which was Fulham against Wolverhampton Wanderers at Craven Cottage the final game of the Premier League weekend Fulham run out 3-2 victors thanks to a late Willian penalty and in a game with five goals you'd expect Joel that we would be talking about the actual on-field action but it turns out that that's not the case at all because yet again we're here on the morning after a Wolverhampton Wanderers match talking about Gary O'Neill being absolutely fed up with VAR and bad decisions going against his team he said in his post-match press conference that he had a chat with the referee after the game there were four contentious decisions and three of them in the game, he feels at the very least, went against his team. I think PGMOL need to just set up an automated apology email to Wolves every week because it just seems like every single week Wolves are on the receiving end of a dodgy VAR call where Gary O'Neill's coming out at the end of a press conference and just literally with his head in his hands where the interviewer's asking him, what are you going to do? Do you want an apology? And it's just... Sorry seems to be the hardest word when it comes to these decisions because when, to be honest, I have a little bit of a slight difference in my opinion on the two decisions in question, the two penalties that um, Fulham got. I thought that the second one was probably more of a penalty than the first one. I think the first one where he got a nick on the ball when they slid together, I cannot believe that has been given. Every single angle I've looked at, he clearly gets a big nick on the ball, which then causes the player to then fall over. So he's got the ball. And I know this is quite complicated. If you're just tuning into the podcast today and you don't know about this game, you'll need to go and watch the highlights because there are a number of decisions, obviously five goals. There are red card incidents that we're going to have to wade through as well. But effectively, on that decision where you're right, it's Nelson Semedo. Looks like he gets a touch on the ball before he plants his foot and then once he's kicked the ball away or poked it away his foot then plants on the ground and maybe I mean if you want to really zoom in you might find some contact on the end of the big toe of the opposition player but in my opinion from the angles that we see I don't think there's any contact and actually the referee told Gary O'Neill after the game that he wasn't sent to the screen and actually he should have been sent to the screen. On my gravestone, I want whoever it is to do the duty to put this quote on my gravestone. Contact does not equal a foul or does not equal a penalty. I'm sick of every single week there being tiny little nudges of a shin pad on a toe and then they give a penalty. I want everyone to be reminded whenever they go to Southern Cemetery or something, (laughs) contact does not equal a penalty. So if you died tomorrow, you would want... Joel Tudor, 1997 to 2023, 
contact does not equal a penalty. You want that as your epitaph, do you? It sounds like something you'd rather have on a school year. Why are you talking about not death? gravestone? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want it. I don't want it to say stuff like, "Oh, he, he was a lovely chap," or "Very, very well missed." I'm not going to say that. I'd rather it be something that sticks in the head that people will be looking past, like, "Oh, old Bill, you know, he misses his wife Dorothy." Oh, yeah, and that's nice. Joel Judah. Oh, you know what? That's actually a really good quote about football. I'm actually thinking about that. So you know what? Yeah, it's a bit morbid to start this Tuesday morning or afternoon now. But yeah. I'll tell you what your gravestone will have. It will have dances like Michael Jackson, sings like Michael Bublé, plays like David Beckham, contact does not equal... Quotes like Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there are a couple of other decisions as well. And I mean, I don't want to go forensically into each decision, but the one that really stood out for me was this one which Gary O'Neill is talking about here, Marley. Let's listen to what he has to say. It's regarding the Fulham striker Vinicius, who gets up and stands in Max Kilman's face and headbutts him. Here's what O'Neill had to say after the game. We then discussed the headbutt, which it was, a headbutt. Um, he debated that a little bit with me as well and said that it was a, a soft headbutt, um, which... I just said that, that that's that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. So we can headbutt people on a football pitch as long as it's deemed soft or not hard enough. So my son at home watching that, millions of children watching that, we're telling them that you can headbutt people on a football pitch as long as it's not too hard. So that was Gary O'Neill speaking in his post-match press conference. Even after the penalty shouts, of which there were two in the game that Fulham were given, and the defeat, this is the one, Marley, this is the one decision that I think has sparked the most controversy. Gary O'Neill saying there that we're basically being told, because Vinicius wasn't given a red card, that it's okay to headbutt someone as long as you headbutt them softly. I totally see his point. This is the one. I mean, you can disagree with the penalty decisions, I suppose. Even though you'd be you'd be wrong, but that's another argument. Um, and this one is just it's just bizarre. Like what? Like the that refereeing performance as a whole was, you know, the the worst of a bad bunch. Like it's, I don't understand how you can look at it on video, and see the contact, and like Gary O'Neill said, like. What you know, it is a headbutt. If he misses him, it's a different, it's a different story. But he doesn't. He makes, um, he makes contact with Max Kilman's nose, chin, mouth, whatever it was. He headbutts him, and he headbutts him. Yeah, and it's like we always teach now, don't we? Pundits love to say, oh, you know, you've got to stay on your feet, and you know, you've got to make. Uh, I don't like seeing people go down off silly things. If Max Kilman goes down there, like like he's been shot. He gets sent off, Vinicius, and Kilman just goes, "What like what are you doing?" Like and just looks at him and then says to the ref, "He's just deadbutted me." And he, what does he get? A yellow card's actually worse than no card at all because a yellow card is acknowledgement that you've seen it and you've you've registered that it's a headbutt, but then to not give him a red is absolutely bizarre because it's either a red card and you're off or it's nothing because you think he didn't touch you. But those people that say Max Kilman would have been better off flopping to the ground because the referee is right in his assessment. It is a soft headbutt, but that doesn't make it okay. And if he does go down and roll around like he has been shot, to use your terminology, the Fulham player is more likely to get a red card. So actually, the people that are saying Max Kilman is being punished for his honesty, I totally agree. I think he has been punished 
for <laughs> not trying to fool the referee into making a decision. It's it's just bizarre. I mean, if I hit you with my car very gently, I've still hit, I've still ran you over. I'm going down. You know what I mean? I'm getting that compensation. I don't exactly. Care. That gravestone <laughs> might come quicker than uh, quicker than possible, really. But you know what I mean? It's just it's stupid, man. It's, the whole logic of the situation makes no sense. Of oh, his head, but I was just going to say though, soft. like what? I was just going to say is is bang on that because do you remember in the Newcastle Arsenal game where when the referee's audio came out and he said the players are asking for the ball that's gone out of play, so it's almost like the plays dictate what the VAR actually sees. So let's say Max, let's say in a different instance that the ball's on the other side of the pitch and a defender goes and elbows one of the strikers. If that striker doesn't go down, nothing will be said of it because the VAR will have missed it. So. Football, we've all known, is a pretty much a game of deception, isn't it? We always saw when the likes of Sergio Busquets used to go down when he used to brush his face like you're caressing his cheek and he'd Drogba go down like do someone's... All the yeah. time. Yeah, Small bit of contact, he'd it's, go down. It's purely Next a game tackle, of, he'd be strong as an ox. It's a game of deception. It's about getting the advantage for your side and exact, it's exactly what you both just said. Kilman's basically been... Kilman's basically been lambasted for staying up and actually being decent on a football pitch rather than trying to deceive and trying to get your your colleagues sent off for something else. So it is everyone he's taking his kindness for weakness in a sense, which is a bit bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre, Joel, and I think that's the right word because we've discussed so many times bad tackles in the last few weeks that have been looked at by VAR. And we've seen slow motion angles and screenshots of a foot going into someone's leg and then the ankle joint bending and giving way and stills and screenshots of someone's ankle in an awkward position after contact from a challenge. What are we doing now? Are we going to slow the footage down so Max Kilman's nose is all squished in from Vinicius headbutting, checking whether it's big enough of a headbutt to be a, a red card? It's, it's utterly stupid. And you know what? I do feel for Gary O'Neill because... Like you said at the start of the show, Joel, what's that, 13 games this season? I can think of five in which they would have picked up more points had they not had terrible VAR decisions. The first was on the first day against Manchester United. They had a bad one against Newcastle, in their opinion. They had a terrible one against Luton, in their opinion. Now they've had one against Fulham. I'm probably missing another one as well because there's been so many of them. So... He has said, Gary O'Neill, Marley, that he feels that his reputation as a Premier League manager is being affected. And what he's trying to build a big club like Wolves with thousands of fans that have travelled down to London to support their team. That is being irreparably damaged because of these bad decisions. Now, if you get one or two shockers a season, fair enough. That's 38 games. This is 13 and they've had five shockers. He's, um, he's right because... You know, at, at this point, it's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, Gary O'Neill's got, at the minute, a 33% win rate as Wolves boss. And, you know, that that should probably be 40 45%. And like 33% is like almost around the sort of sacking percentage, even though obviously he's not in trouble or anything like that. He's never going to, he's not going to get sacked. I'm not saying that, but... When you have that that level of percentage over 20 games, 30 games, 40 games, managers tend to get sacked. And off the back of that, you know, what what you're saying is people won't remember these decisions. They'll remember, you know, where Wolves finished in the league and they'll be like, Wolves finished 15th. 
when in reality, those five games could have yielded another eight or ten points and got them up to tenth. And that's a brilliant season, having had the restrictions, the financial restrictions that they've got, the fact that they've got to sell before they can buy, and the fact that Lopetegui just went, screw this, I'm out, three days before the season. And he had three days to prepare for Man United, uh, along with Sean Derry and and one other coach who, who went there. So... I feel really sorry for him and he's he's being as well. This is this is another sort of angle to it. He's being as professional as I can ever think of any Premier League manager ever. If you think if one tiny tiny thing goes against Mikel Arteta or Jurgen Klopp, even Guardiola to an extent, there's hell on. It's like you've, you know, it's like you've broken into the house, took all the possessions and, and booted the dog in the face. It's just, it's madness. But O'Neill was saying this. He was saying that actually he's got two decisions to make now as a manager because he's tried being respectful and he's tried being disciplined and tried having these open, honest conversations and taking it on the chin. But this has happened so often now that he's almost contemplating with himself whether to change his approach as a manager and stop asking his players to be respectful and start doing the kicking, banging the drum and screaming yeah, I mean, like the other managers he's do. He's had to, you know, let's say there was four games where he, he could have quite easily have gone mental at the officials and stuff like that. If it's a five or ten grand fine every time he goes mad, which it, it is because you ultimately get a fine for misconduct or whatever they label it as the Premier League, you know, he he's probably avoided 20, 25 grand of fines by just being being sound. If he went mental at a at an official in a you know an immediate post match interview and got fined for it, and then the PGMOL said, "Sorry, we got that wrong," the, the fine wouldn't be rescinded. I've never heard of a fine getting rescinded from from that sort of situation in my life. So. Even if that happened, it would it would still be not a solution to it. And I, I do feel really sorry for him because it is just, it's one thing after another. And, you know, the whole VAR thing of, you know, the refereeing performance, the referee was just awful last night. The VAR backed him up by being equally horrendous. You know, why they, why they didn't send him to the, to the screen for the Nelson Semedo challenge is... One of the worst decisions I've ever heard of, certainly this season, if not, you know, way longer in the past five years or since we had VAR, I've never, why would you not give the guy in charge of the game the opportunity to see what you've seen? Because ultimately, and this is another thing we always go back to with VAR is re-refereeing the game. Who is the referee? He has to have ultimate control of the game. VAR needs to be support. It doesn't need to be this, overarching sort of um, power that comes because even in the VAR room, there's four of them or five of them there. Three might think it's a foul, two might not. Their opinions don't. It's not a vote. It's not a democracy of what happens. It should be on the ref. It should be saying like, look, we can't decide. So go and have a look for it. Look for yourself because you're the man in the middle. You're the guy who's got 22 lads around him who are fighting for points, which will bring revenue into the club at the end of the season we well we say it's 1.2 million pound a place in the premier league and they've been screwed out of four games that's potentially you know getting on for five million quid that well as o'neill says it's his reputation as well it's just i, I feel sorry for him especially because he's, he's such a nice bloke as well and he's you know he, he goes on monday night football and stuff and it, it 
it showed you that insight to him that he's actually, you know, he's tactically sound and all the rest of it. He can see things. He's young. He's he's trying to make his way in the game and he's just getting red taped and tied up by all this red tape. It's just, it's unreal. Like, I, feel, I feel sorry for him. And your point, Joel, about them having like an automated email every Monday morning or Tuesday morning to Gary O'Neill saying, sorry for the bad decision. He was asked actually whether he would get a call off of PGMOL referee chief Howard Webb about the poor decisions. And he says, I've spoke to Howard so many times. It doesn't help me. Howard saying, sorry, we've made a mistake, doesn't give you the points back. And actually, he went on to say in a post-match interview that he was always pro-VAR, but admitted it's a big problem at the moment in the game. And actually, he says that last night might finally be the straw that broke the camel's back and has caused him to do a U-turn. And maybe he's lost faith in VAR. That was what he was suggesting. He says that last night's game has finally made him say, I've had enough of VAR. I don't want it anymore. Well, we all spoke about this just after the Liverpool and Spurs game about who's actually in charge of the game. And I remember saying, and it's just coming off the back of what Marley's just said, give more power to the referees. I said, instead of trying to go back and forth with VAR, if there's a conscientious decision that needs a real professional view in terms of the referee, the man in charge, then just tell him to go to the screen and he decides every single strong call that VAR can't quite get the gist of. As a fan, I'm not quite comfortable of this mysterious entity in the background making all the shots on a football game. It's almost like the referees and his assistants are just puppets and they're the puppeteers controlling them. I don't like that at all because what's the point of their job? They're going to become obsolete in the next few years and we're just going to have a whole technology central game where you don't even need any officials and we'll just have a a technological screen on the top just pretty much calling every single foul but just to make misery even worse I was just reading an article from Goal uh, that reported that the International Football Association board which are the ones who bring the agenda for changing rules and that kind of thing are actually wanting to discuss giving VAR even more influence on the games whether it can be within free kicks or second yellow cards and all these kind of more frequent decisions which are going to be made in games and it will be discussed and I think it's purely because of the pressure on assistants and referees to get it right now because there's just so much money involved in the game I feel like that's the only way it's heading at the moment but you have to get it right as well at the same time you can't just keep pushing technology technology but the people in charge of it are still not quite there yet in terms of actually managing it But I completely sympathise with O'Neill because honestly, if you put a compilation together of every single wrong wrong call that's happened from his team from VAR, you would be absolutely amazed at just how these decisions are being made. Like I say, I feel like the bottom line is just get the referee to go and watch the screen in any decision that is a big call. It's not hard to do. It's a good job Gary O'Neill isn't asking for all of the bad VAR decisions to go on his gravestone, because otherwise it'd be 20 foot tall. <laughs> it's going to be seven feet <laughs> it'd be tall. as tall as Dan Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> and talking of Dan Byrne, we're going to talk about Newcastle next on Football Social Daily. Fulham 3-2 winners last night in the Premier League, but it's on to the Champions League this evening as Marley's side take on PSG away from home. A must-win game in Europe for them. We'll discuss it next. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. Before the break, we talked about yet more VAR misery for Wolves, who were beaten 3-2 by Fulham in the Premier League yesterday. But it's the Champions League we're going to look at now, as Newcastle United and Manchester City are both in action today. City take on RB Leipzig at home, but it's away in Paris that we're going to look at because Newcastle are on their travels. The first Champions League campaign for 20 years, Marley. It started well... But it's very much tailed off. And now you face one of the toughest tasks probably you could ask for in a European group stage game. PSG away. It's not going to be an easy task for Eddie Howe, is it? No, um, not an easy one. But, you know, people said that when we when we were at St. James's, I suppose. And Luis Enrique got his tactics all wrong. And, and we, we turned up and we, we hammered PSG quite comfortably. They couldn't get out of their own half. It was... It was uh, a, a surprise, but a, a warranted sort of win. Um, obviously, it's, I think it's going to be harder tonight. I can't see him making the same mistakes. If he does make the same mistakes, he's one of the worst coaches I've ever seen because playing four-two-four is just not it. Um, yeah, so it's it's tough. We've got you know mad injuries. We put you know put a lot into the game against Chelsea probably less so than we did against Arsenal when we then went and lost to to Dortmund in Germany um in the last round of games but you know we've on the other hand we've got more injuries you know we're, we're going to go there tonight and play a 17 year old kid in the Parc des Princes in a must win Champions League game and that kind of sums up where we are at the minute with the squad Livramento will probably play a left back um out of position you know, you're asking a lot. Oh, number one, Tino, you're out of position. Number two, you've got Mbappe and Dembele on the wings to worry about. Um, and, you know, other £100 million players scattered around the pitch. So it's a tough one. But, you know, we've got to, we've got to give it everything we got. We have. Um, and a draw would be, would be nice because hopefully, I can, I can see this backfiring, but hopefully Dortmund beat Milan. And it all comes down to the 13th of December when AC Milan play Newcastle at St. James's Park. And it's basically a third place playoff um, with a small chance of, you know, maybe an outside chance of um, of going through, depending on the, the result tonight with uh, with the other game with Dortmund and Milan. But 
yeah, hopefully we're uh, we're still in touch when it comes down to that uh, that final day of the Champions League, and uh, we can continue this little run or at least get into the Europa and uh, and have a crack at that as well. Is it a must win for Newcastle tonight? Do they have to win, or would it be a situation of it's their first campaign in twenty years, group of death? Let's not be too harsh on them against a side that has reached the Champions League final not that long ago. I see it more as must not lose. And I know Marley's kind of focusing more on the Europa League, but I still think there's every chance of at least attempting to get out of the group, but it's going to rely on, I think I think this game week today is going to be the vital one because if, for example, Dortmund get a win tonight against Milan and Newcastle don't get a result, as in a draw, at least in Paris, then I do think it is over for them. Just because Dortmund, then to have to go away to Dortmund and get a result and Paris Saint-Germain at home to Milan, it's going to be a real tricky one to actually overcome that. But I think if, if Newcastle can just hold out for a draw tonight and hope that the game in the other group can just remain as a draw as well, or you would just kind of bite the bullet and allow for Dortmund to go and take the group and then hope in the final game that they feel a bit more of a weakened side potentially when Newcastle eventually play them. But yeah, as a Man United fan, I'm hoping that there's plenty of injuries on Newcastle's side, plenty of pulled hamstrings, ready for the game at the weekend. <laughs> and they're out of Europe. <laughs> we'll turn up with five 17-year-olds in our team against against you lot and we'll still turn you over pretty comfortably. Like Did you see Kobe Mayne playing in Garnacho? We'll we'll bring our eighteen year olds to we'll bring our eighteen year olds to the table. Don't worry about that. Hey. Garnacho's peaked. <laughs> Mainu's Main looks alright, but can he can he do it twice? Yeah, you never know. But we'll save that one for Friday. But yeah, tonight um tonight'll be interesting. Um I'm hoping I mean when we lost to Dortmund, we lost that um we we had the early quick kickoff so it was quarter to six kickoff. And I was thinking, when, when we lost the game, I'm not that bothered because I expect PSG to beat Milan. And that will keep Milan below us in the league. And it'll and it'll definitely come down to the last day. And then flipping Giroud turns up, <laughs> rolls back the years and scores a couple of goals for Milan against PSG. Or last minute goal, whatever it was. And I'm thinking, oh, this this is just isn't going our way. This, this whole Champions League thing, we get drawn in this bloody group which is probably the hardest of the last decade in terms of teams in it. And then we get uh, we get little bits of luck like that with the with the schedule and all that stuff, but that's it. It is what it is and even if even if we go out the Champions League either tonight or or in December, we've still we've not rolled over in the group and been battered by teams we could have beat like you know, we've had three of the hardest teams you can draw. Um, and we've always got that memory of uh, of smashing PSG at home, which is you know gonna live long in the memory. I mean, we we still cling on to Andy Griffin scoring against scoring against Juventus in two thousand and two, and we always say Andy Griffin put one past Buffon when in in actual reality it was an own goal. But it doesn't matter because we hang on to it. But now in twenty years time, if we never get in the Champions League until my kid grows up and he's fifteen years old or whatever, you know. We've still got that thing of Dan Byrne piling a header in at the uh, at the Lees' end, and you know Longstaff scoring in front of the Gallagher when we beat this most expensively assembled team four one, and it's just it's a memory, it's something to actually remember you you sort of campaign by. One thing that has been in the news, Joel, is not the build up to the game and what might happen on the pitch. It's actually some of the scenes 
in Paris off the pitch. There's been quite a lot of fan trouble. If you can call them fans, we don't actually know whether they are or not. But there was a section of Newcastle supporters who were attacked in a bar in Paris last night. And yes, this sort of stuff goes on with all clubs. It's not just Newcastle, but it did seem over the top and quite unsavoury. And actually, it's a real shame to see that sort of behaviour, isn't it? It's not even just English fans that they attack. They attack protesters weekly. <laughs> I mean, there's tear gas on the streets weekly in Paris. It's not a new thing, this. The police just have a zero-tolerance approach in terms of the way in which they deal with, whether it's fans, whether it's protests, anything of that kind, they do not want it on the streets. To be fair, though, when you look at the Newcastle one, the Newcastle fans weren't even on the streets. They were inside a bar. And then you've got the Parisian ultras who I I was going to say I have the pleasure of being around, but on that day they were quite nice when I was in Paris. But actually being able to see them, it's a different kind of fan culture over there when it comes to the ultra kind of football fanfare. It's very different to here, where I know we like to think of English football as being very passionate in terms of the fan bases, and it is 100%. It's up there with some of the best. When you go to these places and they have ultras, these guys literally live and die by their club kind of thing. It's almost a life and death. It's like their religion. Yeah, literally. It's almost like, yeah, like a mob. They live and die by it. It's their religion. It's a different level to what we're used to. And that's why it's quite shocking when English fans go to these kind of countries and they see these fans behaving in this kind of way. And by the way, that's not to say that English fans don't behave like absolute idiots when they go abroad because they absolutely do. Very true, but why are Paris fans attacking Newcastle fans? There's no provocation there. There's no prior. There's no history there. There's no reason for it. What's the point? There doesn't need to. There doesn't need to be a reason though. This is what I mean. It's like a mob. They have it in so many different countries. Have you seen the videos where some of the great examples, the Dutch ultras, where they literally meet up on a field before a game and just have a fight, attacking fans in bars. That is hooliganism. There's no reason for it. It's ridiculous. But it's almost an intimidation tactic, in my opinion. It's almost a way to kind of show that they're Parisians and they are is their club. It's, it's a bit nonsense. I, 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 do you know what? I totally get it because I support a team that's had its issues with hooliganism in the past as well. So I get it and I understand why it's there and the tribalism and the nature of it, as you've explained. But also, if they're trying to make it intimidating, do you think that Eddie Howe or Bruno Guimaraes are going to be scared of PSG because someone threw a chair through a window on the Champs-Élysées last night? Who cares? I don't understand the thinking behind it. It's bizarre, but I think Paris has got a, a serious problem with that. Of you know, we've seen the Champions League final was was disgusting. Um, you know, the people were just fearing for their their lives at one point. You know, the 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 level of vandalism and hooliganism that was going round was was unbelievable. And there wasn't even uh, the French team in the final. It was just you know Liverpool fans there and. And it was just, uh, yeah, just awful. But that is where France is. I mean, France politically right now is is all over the place. You know, there's riots, you know, every day and things like that. And then I just think it, it seeped into the culture for some reason. Um, and yeah, you see it. The, there was, you know, I'm obviously sort of in the space of, of Newcastle, Newcastle Twitter, if you want to call it that. And, you know, there was, there was lads saying, you know, just, Whatever you do, stick together. Even if you don't know the people, just stick together in numbers because there's gangs looking for lone Newcastle fans, tourists, and just trying to get them, throwing things at them, you know, if they can, assaulting them, 
you know, these lads last night, they, they were having a drink in the bar, just pending. Like, and you just had to hope that a chair didn't come through the window with enough force to, to kill someone, basically. Um, and that's that, that's not football, is it? That's that's not why you're going on a way day. You know, everyone was saying, oh, Newcastle have got three mint away days in Dortmund, Milan and Paris. And I'd, I said, you know, people were asking me, like, are you going to get any tickets? I said, number one, I won't get a sniff of a ticket because they'll, they'll go like gold dust. But number two, if you gave me a golden ticket to Paris and paid my hotel and my plane fare and everything like that, I wouldn't go. <laughs> because why would you go to a game like that when when that that is going to happen? We seen it in the Euros a couple of years ago. It was awful. Like I know it was the Russian sort of hooligans at, at that point or whatever it was. But it seems to follow French culture and in particular Paris. And the, you know, you could offer me all the tea in China. I wouldn't go to Paris even. I won't go on a city break to Paris. Never mind a, a football game where you know that's going to happen, and that's that's not football. That's you know nothing's happened to provoke that really. So, you know, it's it's not what you go for, not what you pay your money for. Really sad to see, but hopefully the football is what we're talking about tomorrow on Football Social Daily. If you do end up in Paris for a city break, though, on Saint Ferdinand Street in Paris near the Champs Elysees, there's a great bakery on the corner of the roundabout called. The French bastards. Don't go to Paris just yet, though, because next on Football Social Daily, we'll be talking about the latest transfer news just over a month until the transfer window opens in January. So we're going to rifle through the back pages. We'll do it after this on FSD. Final part of today's podcast. Welcome back to the show, Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall. Joel and Marley are here with me as well. And we're going to take a look at some of the gossip on the back pages of the newspapers. Not too many concrete links, Joel, in terms of transfer news, but that will start to ramp up as we approach January, which is now just 32 days away. 2023 has absolutely flown by. And the link that's leading the gossip columns, if you will, is Manchester United making inquiries allegedly over Red Bull Leipzig's 27-year-old striker, Timo Werner. The former Chelsea man is apparently subject of interest from United in January. That's according to Sky Sports Germany. First off, do you think Manchester United need new forward players? Second off... Is Werner the sort of player that you would go for? Why is January every single year for United this, let's go and buy an absolutely finished striker and then we'll go and have a go with him and see how he does. Remember when Igalo joined in 2021? You know what? I've got a soft spot for Igalo. He did his best. He's got a few crackers. Then we had, in the words of Marley, Vout Carthorse leading our line for a good six months, which was painful in itself. <laughs> and now we've got Werner. You know, they used to call him Werner the Burner. I mean, when's the last time he was a burner? The gas supply has always been cut off on him because the, the amount of goals he scores these days is just completely dry. I mean, the fact that he's gone back to RB Leipzig, the place that he actually made his name before getting that move to Chelsea, and he scored nine goals last season, he scored two goals this season. On what planet does that mean he's good enough for a club like United? But it just seems like every single January... United are trying to connect the dots with what they've missed in the summer. Go for this poor average striker that, bless their hearts, has to produce even though they're not at that level required. Then they get abuse. Then the board gets attacked because they didn't fill the dots in the summer. It's just a recurring cycle. 
I mean, I don't really believe there's any truth in it. It's coming from Sky Germany, so potentially there might be some substance, and I'm guessing he will be available. But he couldn't do it at Chelsea, so what on earth does it mean that they think he can do it at United? Obviously, he'd be a bit part player because Hoyland clearly needs a little bit of backup, but it's just nonsensical for me. Well, how much should we be paying attention to rumours in the papers at the moment? Because obviously there's this 25% takeover of the Glazer family shares from Jim Ratcliffe and the Ineos group. And we're told that he's going to take over the football operation at Manchester United. And naturally the signings and transfers will come under that umbrella. When will that start? What's happening here? Is Timo Werner just someone who maybe that they've expressed interest in or they've had very casual conversations about and who are having those conversations at Manchester United is it Jim Ratcliffe because as far as I can tell I didn't see any deal ratified just yet so we're still uncertain as to who's going to be taking control of the transfers in the January window yeah, it's exactly that. I feel like all the rumours right now are just going to be complete guesswork because we don't know who's in charge of what, what budget's going to be available, if there's going to be more outgoings, what the transfer budget like because they stretch themselves in the summer massively. So right now it's a case of we don't even know what kind of money or capacity United are going to be operating at in a month's time. And that's why I would probably take all of, the trans- all of these transfer rumours with a pinch of salt. But definitely with this one, take a handful of salt with this one because I don't want Werner anywhere near the United forward line. All right, final piece of transfer gossip we're going to talk about on today's show is Douglas Luiz of Aston Villa is currently interesting Arsenal, Manchester City and Liverpool. But Unai Emery insists that Villa don't don't intend to sell one of their key players this season. Now, naturally, when a team that isn't expected to be up there is up there and has a great season, you only need to look at Caicedo like Marley was just discussing. You're going to get some of the bigger clubs in the division, Jill, sniffing around and showing interest. But reports from several different sources are claiming that in January or maybe even in the summer, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City are all clubs that wouldn't mind having Douglas Luiz on their books. How good has he been this season? And does that surprise you at all that he's been linked with those big moves? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. I remember he got linked with an Arsenal move last January and I think that may have tipped him slightly more towards the title because he was having a really good season with Villa last season. Obviously, he started off at Vasco da Gama and then he was at Manchester City as well. So it's not like he's no stranger to City and I think he would bed into all of the teams you've mentioned. I think he would fit into all of their teams really well. He's just so composed in midfield bit of a dictator and I think he's one of the main reasons why Villa are where they're at at the moment a bit of an underrated player in their team considering you know all the attentions on Ollie Watkins and all of the forward players like Diaby uh, etc but I think the best team that or the team that probably need him the most are Arsenal because when you look at the fact that Thomas Partey cannot be relied upon to partner with Declan Rice who's almost holding up their midfielder it feels like Xhaka's Though he had such criticism on him over the years, he brought them a little bit of stability and balance in midfield. And now that he's not there, it feels like Rice just needs that other player who can almost protect him in a double pivot. Because right now, I just genuinely don't play who does that for them. But when you look at the situation that Aston Villa are in, why on earth would he leave? 
They're in such a good position at the moment. They could potentially challenge for the top four. Things are going really great for them. And I highly, highly doubt that Aston Villa would let him go for a price which is not absolutely extortionate. I mean, you'd be looking for north of, what, 60, 70 million. Not because he's worth that, but because why would you let one of your star assets go in January? It makes no sense to me. So Aston Villa are well within their eyes to charge whatever they want. And that's why I don't see him going anywhere. All right. Well, that's it for Football Social Daily today. We'll be back tomorrow with more Premier League news and opinion for you. Hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform. And that way you'll be notified when a new episode is released. You can also keep in touch with us via social media. The links to those channels are in the description and the link to the Telegram group is in the description as well. And on tomorrow's show, or maybe Thursday's show, it's worth tuning into both anyway. You might hear Joel's reaction to his first ever game of League One football, which will be taken in tonight. But that is it from all of us for today on Football Social Daily. We'll catch you next time. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.